Our scripture today is from Isaiah 61, the first few verses. And if you've been around Oak Church for a while, uh, you've probably heard these words. And if you haven't, you'll probably see why you would have heard these words. So this is from the 61st chapter of Isaiah. The Lord God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify himself. This is the word of God for the people of God. So I wanted to start out this year by looking back a little and looking forward. Uh, I guess that kind of puts us somewhere in the middle. And I think as Christians, we're always a little in the middle. I think that means we're in the middle of God's work, that we're in the middle of God's timing, we're in the middle of the history of God's creation and restoration. So as we start 2017 together, I want us to particularly look back and look forward related to who the Lord has called us to be as Oak Church. A couple years ago, and when I look out, there's not a lot of folks in this room who were part of that in summer of 2014, which is really cool. But we, we assembled this core team of folks um, to try to figure out what God was calling us to here. And that core team grew increasingly um, inspired, I guess is, is an appropriate word, about this chapter from Isaiah. Because we, we were doing all kind of the brainstorming exercises when you try to get a group together so everyone can speak well and listen to each other. And there were a ton of post-it notes that, that were put on walls and collated and circled around and some fell on the ground and we left them there and that was okay. But we, we were trying to form mission statements too and, and that's a really hard thing to do for a group. Um, I think they're good things and they help you focus. Mission statements can kind of orient you to a goal so that you don't drift later on. It can make sure you're doing things that you're called to do and not things that you're not called to do that distract you. But we had the hardest time coming up with a mission statement together that, that we all agreed on and liked, but, but more importantly, were empowered by and excited for. I think most... Most churches there are like mission statements. This isn't like rocket science. You know, like there's like tidy tricolons work for mission statements. There's like love God, love each other, love the world, or in and uh, up and in and out, or like worship community mission. Like these are things you heard, and these aren't bad things, right? But they. To us, it seemed, or at least to me, I won't even speak for the group, but it seemed a little reductive because I, that's not how I live my life. Like, I don't wake up in the morning, and my wife would probably like it better if I did, wake up with the morning with like a checklist of like these things to keep in my head all day long. 
I think, uh, I think even if you did, you might get a lot done, but you also might run the risk of missing the forest for those three trees that you have charted out, right? But if I was going to, to, to boil down some of the things that we we're talking about, it, it really made sense with this, this chapter and this narrative because it really seemed like, like we were to be about hope and healing and hospitality. If you've been around here, you've probably heard that. Each of these things, our calling and our goals together, I think why, the, why those sorts of things were so intriguing is because they're so hard <laughs> and they're so impossible. And they're also not things that you, you necessarily ever achieve. <laughs> hope, healing, and hospitality. Like if, if you've gotten there, maybe you haven't uh, dreamt big enough or hoped enough. I was speaking with someone uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and, and I think not only are they hard to fulfill, but they're, they're just actually really hard to come by. And this, this woman I was talking about a couple weeks ago, um, she lamented the fact that people always look at her as if she's always like the wise, hopeful person connected with God. Meanwhile, she knows herself enough to know that she feels as lost and desperate and lonely as she's ever felt. So like not only are, are these things hard to come by, but her hope, uh, what people assumed about her and her hope didn't even really line up with what she was experiencing. Or, or for instance, healing. I think most of us can sign on, at least at least mentally, that, that we think that God heals. In fact, I'd, I'd hope that most of us would be able to stake our lives on the fact that God heals. But when it comes down to it, we either forget to ask for that kind of saving health and healing, that balm, that comfort in the midst of hurt. When things get hairy, we just, we don't even ask for it, let alone expect it. Or else, in that healing process, we expect it to be instant, and we forget what a miracle it is when, when we get a paper cut, how that heals and how much time it takes, and how that God is working healing in that process, and that we need to participate and be a part of that process. That's the coolest part about having kids, is you, you get to like experience and narrate these things for kids. So like when kids scrape their knee, and they wonder, is this ever going to get better? And you say, yes, because God is healing you. And I, and I, I believe that. Um, and, and they experience that. And they experience that it takes about a week. And then, indeed, God did heal them. And there is even a little mark so that they can remember how God healed them. Or, or the third thing in that is hospitality. That hospitality just seems like it's, it's impossible for us. Uh, and it doesn't seem like there's enough, and I think hospitality is predicated on there being enough, that there would be enough time or resources or food or space or trust to, to, to welcome someone in. So these are the things that we've gotten ourselves into, and we're about two and a half years into experiencing and learning. All these concerns and struggles attached to these are very real and very hard, but it seems so worth it. <laughs> it seems like the, there's nothing else as worth it as, as going after hope and healing and hospitality together. And so we go back to this, 
foundational scripture, and it seems so, so appropriate to dig into Isaiah in the beginning of 2017. Appropriate as ever because Isaiah is one of those Bible books that is unflinchingly hopeful, even as he's just brutally realistic about how things are. I don't know if Isaiah is the prophet we deserve, but he's definitely the prophet we need. Because a prophet's primary job, and this is what Abraham Heschel says, a, a prophet's job is to bring the world into divine focus. So we can have all of our, all of our, um, uh, our desires and all of our, our New Year's resolutions, but I think what we need is divine focus. So we go to the, the prophet. And the focus of this chapter is the vision of all the things that I think we're hoping for for Oak Church. Gospel, renewal, justice, beauty, creativity. But it, the cool thing about this chapter is that it's packaged in this, in this story, in the story that we can jump into, in this hopeful, forward-facing story, which we get called into, that we, we can let sink into our bones because we have these cool images that, that kind of spin our imaginations. It's a picture expansive enough to pull others into as well so that they can contribute, they can participate. That's the cool thing about not about a lot of you guys not being in those initial meetings is because you guys have become part of that mission, whether you've, you've even known it. You guys have, have created opportunities and partnerships and things and conversations that we never would have dreamt about alone. So today I, I want to talk a little bit about hope, and the next couple weeks, we'll, uh, Sarah, next week we'll talk about healing, and then uh, two weeks from now we'll talk about hospitality and, and talk about them kind of in ordinary ways. Um, and so I want to look at this this scripture, and and I was thinking about what what I'm what I would be trying to do. And right now in our house, uh, our son Titus, he's three. And one of the things that he likes to do, and, and it's pretty specific to him, is when, when he's trying to tell you about something, he, he's, he's kind of like the, uh, the analogy master in our house, right? It, like, he'll walk into a room and he'll kind of he'll smell and he'll be like, it smells kind of like, it's kind of like, and like he'll drift off into this really con- contemplative mode. And some of the things that things smell like are not good things. Um, or, or, or he'll, he'll try to tell you about his dinos and be like, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like this. And so, and I, th- I think that's, that's how hope is too, in that it's, it's really hard to, to nail down, but a lot of people try to describe hope this way. So like I'm thinking about like Emily Dickinson famously, right, that hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. Like, it's kind of like a bird. But that's a little too reductive because it's the thing that perches and then might fly away and that if you're going to grab, you need to hold lightly so that you don't crush it. Or like Polly, Paula, uh, Polly Murray, who's like a neighborhood hero, she, she wrote a poem once and she said, Hope is a song in a weary throat. I think we've all had a sore throat before. 
and know how hard it is to make sounds that sound like we want them to sound. And even the act of trying to sing is worth something. So, so I look at the scripture and, and, and we try to, in a Titus way, try to say hope is, is kind of like this. Austin, I think there's a, a highlighted slide next. Just want to go through it because there are three things that, that I think hope is is kind of like or hope is kind of involved with. And and first, I, I think our hope has to be uh, kind of like something to do with the spirit. Uh, that That's how our chapter starts. That if we have any hopes to be a people of hope, we're going to have to rely on the spirit of God to fall upon us and to call upon us. God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me and he has sent me. In the Gospels, we're given this picture of the skies cracking open and the spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove as his ministry starts and he wades through the waters of Jordan, those baptismal waters. We too remember our own baptisms when we turn from sin and towards God, when we were cleansed, when we were buried and raised to new life in Christ. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and now fills our lungs and joins with our spirit so we can be called sons and daughters of God, well-pleased. If you've never had this family-making baptism experience, if you never turn towards the God that's running full sprint towards you, you today's a great day to do that. To, today is the day to put that in motion and to join in this story. I pray that because we're founded by and powered by the Spirit, that Oak Church would be a profoundly and ordinary hopeful people in the Spirit. Because I think that changes our whole default. To say that hope is ordinary, hope's not ordinary. Do you guys default to being hopeful? No, I think, I think we default to things like despair. We de default to only imagining what's on our horizon, not what's on God's horizon of justice and, and peace. But to be Hopeful is to rely on the Spirit of the Lord to be with us. We just spent a whole season anticipating and celebrating God with us. And then for God to send us to join in on God's mission to renew all things. Instead of hope in God, which can be quite hard and quite scary, you might at times feel like you're a fool for trying to hope. That's, that's the right feeling. If you feel like that, that's, that's a good thing because that's what hope feels like. Like that's precisely what hope feels like. If that's where you are, you're doing it right. Because hope puts us in a, into a little bit of an unknown, the unlikely, the uncomfortable. Instead, if you only live on what you know or what you can predict or on comfort or on like a buffer of safety, I don't think that's much of a life of faith or hope at all. I think of Romans 4, 
when the Apostle Paul talks about Abraham and his hopeful life of faith. Faith and hope are always kind of married together. I think there's a side. Thanks. So Abraham is our father in the eyes of God in whom he had faith, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that don't exist into existence. When it was beyond hope, he had faith in the hope that he would become the father of many nations in keeping with the promise God spoke to him. That's how many descendants you will have. Without losing faith, Abraham, who was nearly 100 years old, took into account his own body, which was as good as dead, and then also Sarah's womb, which was dead. (laughs) And he didn't hesitate with a lack of faith in God's promise, but he grew strong in faith and gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness against and well beyond all reasonable hope. Abraham had faith in the hope that God would keep his promise. Abraham's whole life was reformed around this promise to be a father to God's family like a surrogate father to this family that God was making. And God chose a 100-year-old man and his wife (laughs) to do this. We have pregnant women in this congregation, but we have no 100-year-old pregnant women in this congregation. Abraham not only had his life reformed around this promise, but he was given a new name. Before he was Abram, now he's Abraham involved with God's family, the the father of God's family, to bear this vocation. Even though he knew the challenges, he took account of his own body and Sarah's body. He knew the limitations. There were impossibilities pressing in upon him, and he looked at God. So often our hope gets challenged, and we settle for something less or we settle for something different, or we take our eyes off of God. We reconfigure our hope into something that's a little more manageable, we lower our expectations, or we just abandon it altogether. We despair rather than hope. I think our, our despair is really subtle. It's really gradual. We don't even know we're doing it until years down the road, we realize that we don't really expect God to act in our lives anymore, or we don't really believe any longer that things don't have to be the way they are. That's, that's, really, that's really fatalistic, and that's really desperate. That's where so many of us are. That's, that's where we've gotten to. Or, or else we get really cynical, I think is another thing we do get really cynical about people who do feel this way because obviously they don't have enough data or they're just in denial that they feel like God could do something and things could be different. That the future is actually going somewhere or that, that all things are being held together in Christ because it feels like all things are fracturing and being spun out and pulled apart. Or maybe we retreat or... or We insulate or we isolate or or we just numb ourselves. We go into our own little corners of our own little universes 
right? We live inside our phones or we allow our desires to form our hope. And what we get is a pretty tame kind of false hope. Or we just get busy. Like that, that's a really appealing option too. It hardly matters what we're busy doing as long as we're doing something, as long as we're making something better, at least for ourselves. I don't think any of these is quite hope because none of those things rest in or relies on the Spirit of God to fall afresh upon us. If, you're gonna, if you are going to wake up in the morning with like something to focus on for the day, it should be a prayer Come Holy Spirit. That, that should probably be it. Like if, you're, if you need something to orient your day. Because with that spirit, even it, it helps us engage with hope as this kind of uncontrollable factor. This outside of yourself thing. This thing with wings. But it's also this thing that's going to send you to do something. To go somewhere, to be with someone who you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. So I asked, what if Oak Church was to be a spirit of the Lord church? If each one of us built something greater than the sum of our parts, a body of many parts. Each of us would know how loved and chosen and forgiven by the Father each and every one of us was in Christ. And we'd we tell that good news, like the song Katie led us in. We yell it from the mountains <laughs> through the power of the Holy Spirit to the people around us who need this, who need to know this, who need to see not just our individual lives, but our life together. The next kind of thing was the, that middle, the middle chunk of, of, this, of this set of verses. I think hope is, is kind of about, it's kind of like transformation. <laughs> I think we're set on a mission. The Spirit of the Lord has sent me, has sent us to do something. Has sent us as agents of reconciliation. Has given us the Spirit to speak truth, to work justice, and to live grace. That's our anointing, like Christ's. It's not for our own sake, but it's for the sake of others, for the sake of transformation. Check out all the transformation that's happening here. Good news to the poor. The brokenhearted are bound up. Release for captives and liberation for prisoners. And then we have this middle part that's just jubilee. It's, it's debts are forgiven. The whole structure of injustice and indebtedness is being turned over. Comfort to the mourners, provision for Zion's mourners, a crown instead of ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise where there was discouragement. This is transformation. We see the justice and mercy that lies at the heart of God. Good news to the poor doesn't just include like materially impoverished, but also spiritually bankrupt here. When, when, when Luke retells this, um, 
Luke and Matthew differ in how they retell this. They say, blessed are the poor in spirit in Christ's uh, Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Plains. And, and then the other says, no, just blessed are the poor. And so I think there is some connection. Good news that things can be because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And in some ways, they already are different. When we started zeroing in on this chapter for Oak Church's vision, I love the way God's anointed one's work was always both physical and spiritual. It was always emotional and tangible. It was always inextricably tied together. The mission of God we'd taken up would include binding up broken hearts, freeing captives, and releasing prisoners from darkness. This might actually mean pulling people and being pulled out of bad situations, not just bad headspaces or something. That we'd have open eyes and ears to sense what people are really saying when they say they need help. Sometimes belly hunger is symptomatic of spiritual hunger and vice versa. <laughs> Sometimes spiritual uh, despair finds its root in a really desperate home life. A zeroed bank account or addictions are both things that enslave. We'd be challenged to nourish people's souls and their bodies. And I think that's one of the reasons we gather around this table and the other tables, that these tables are so connected, that, this, that they're kind of portals to each other, that we might be fed in our spirits and fed in our bodies. And so hope starts to expect this kind of transformation. That means a hopeful person or a hopeful church submits to that kind of transformation kind of in-house first, right? <laughs> if hurt people hurt people, I think also transformed people participate in other people's transformation. That we examine deep places in ourselves that need healing, that need forgiveness, that need a death and then a resurrection. And then finally, I think hope is kind of having to do with, hope is kind of like beauty. This is the last part of the chapter. It's kind of, it's kind of like beauty, but it's kind of like beauty together, if that makes sense. There's something about hope that obsesses with beauty. Not in a superficial way, but actually a beauty that's reflective. It's a, a beauty that is a witness, that is a display of God's beauty, God's glory, God's splendor, that the Lord might glorify himself. I remember one of my teachers always said, if you can't make it happy, make it beautiful. I think that's a pretty good motto. Because I think oftentimes what he had in mind were really sad, awful things <laughs> when he was saying, if you can't make it happy. This is showing up at, at, a, at a funeral. You, you can't necessarily make a funeral happy, but you can make it beautiful. You can, you can instill it with purpose and attention and depth that God is really doing something in this. 
and, and that we don't even always know what that is. I think there's great wisdom in that, that saying because the second you commit your life to being with others, you've automatically made sure that it won't always be happy, right? Not that being by yourself is going to make you happy either, but the second you link up to being with someone, whether in a friendship or a marriage or as a neighbor, you're not, your happiness is not going to line up, and in fact, your happiness is probably going to threaten someone else's happiness. Things can't always be happy, but they can be beautiful. Even tragedy can be beautiful. If the strength to get through it and the hope towards transformation and healing comes from the Lord and displays his promises and his faithfulness. Even in our short history together, I, I can think of a few specific times when I've seen this. Like I, I'm telling you because I've seen it. A couple years ago, we, we had a, a vigil for a shooting just down the road. Gary, unfortunately, played our host. It was right in, in front of his home. And I tell you, that vigil was not happy, but it was so beautiful to see people together to, to join our prayers and our songs into hope and to, to, to lean into a, a, a peace that just was completely non-existent a few days prior. You can also think uh, about things like our, our midweek morning prayer, like getting up, <laughs> getting up that early for like two and a half years in a row, and sometimes it's really cold, and sometimes one person shows up, is not always self-evidently hopeful, <laughs> um, not always self-evidently wise. But I can tell you one thing, the, the amount of people, and it normally happens when I'm not there, like in the rare occasion I'm not there, then like the next week someone will be like, I saw people out there praying, and I really appreciate that. Um, it, was really, it was really hopeful that, that y'all are out there praying for the cars that are driving by and the school buses that are taking kids. Um, it, the, there's this confidence and this, this appreciation for this display of hope. I, I can't help but think that that's going to be even, even more the case as things continue to pop up, a bakery across the street and other stuff, that, that our, our mere presence there in prayer, hoping and hungering and thirsting and kind of tuning our hunger and thirst towards righteousness and hope and doing that out there in the midst of everything, that that can't not be a display of God's splendor, his glory. I also think about like tomorrow's cleanup as, as kind of a display of hope. Like it's so ordinary, so simple to pick up trash and put it in a bag. <laughs> it's also like it requires no skill, but I think it's a profoundly hopeful thing to do and, and as I, I sent out a message to invite people to do it on the listserv, I was so surprised with how um, excited, I think excited is the word I'll use, excited people were um, that this was going to happen and also excited to get in on it. So I think hope begets hope. It, it, it's an amazing thing, and small material things matter. As I seriously was about um, this morning, uh, I, I did a last walk through the sermon. I, I seriously almost just shelved the whole thing and, and re-preached 
Martin Luther King Jr.'s ser uh, sermon on hope that I read because I started to just pull quotes and I pulled so many. I was like, I'll just do that. It's better. And um, but one one thing I will give you from that sermon, and don't make any comments on whether I, I made a mistake in not doing that. But one thing I'll give you from that from that sermon, and you can look it up. It's fantastic. I'll link to it later. But uh, Dr. King preached that hope always has a we quality about it. I, I think that's a, a great a great possibility and, and reality for us together. In that sermon, he says, hope fires hope in others. That it's possible somehow to hope for everyone else. So I think that's one of the that's kind of lastly, as, as this gets pluralized in here, notice that it says they will be called oaks of righteousness. That, that, and, and I think that, that also connects, and this is another sermon, to, to Abraham's counted as righteousness, which is, is kind of this liberating, freeing sort of righteousness connected to the hope in God who delivers his people. But that... That oaks of righteousness, we've attached to that because it is plural and it is together and our hope fires hope in each other, but also in the people around, of, uh, around us. It's really infectious. That we can hope for God's best, that we can hope for God's renewal, we can hope for God's spirit's transformation of our neighbors, and that we can display that hope for God's glory. I pray that Oak Church will be a school for each one of us to teach and to learn from each other what ordinary hope looks and feels like in Jesus. That God's spirit might train our hearts and our bodies and our minds and our imaginations to look to God's future already achieved in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for our sake. And that our lives and our neighborhoods can be transformed in this hope. Will you guys pray with me? Father, renew us by your spirit this morning. That we might grow more and more into the image of your son who perfectly showed you and your heart to us. That we might look and act and sound more and more like Jesus, who is our hope, and who showed us how to, how to reach towards and desire and hunger and thirst towards righteousness. Lord, as you've planted us as oaks, here, may you continue to water us and fertilize us and make us healthy and strong. Help us discern seasons in which we might grow more rapidly and seasons in which we might slow down. Help us in this year as we find ourselves in the middle of your work to stay there, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's unlikely, even if, if it's hard or it seems impossible, help us stay in this middle. 
We thank you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.